All right. Now with my Ableton session instead of Studio One. Oh, oh yeah. I've I've brought Dan into our sphere of audio. Uh, I mean, not that he wasn't exactly before, but, you know, not using... I you know people like personas but honestly I don't and <laughs> uh and just it was just the fact that their equipment was okay at a lower price that we even used it in the first place and now uh we actually have a, a real software oh yeah now I which have, is good now, now I have a board that has lights on it when I talk <laughs> well, and if you're using Ableton you'll be able to manipulate audio like an absolute fucking wizard inside of about six months here. Um, well, I mean, uh, that's, that's if he being wants ambitious to. for how capable I am of learning a new program. But I appreciate your faith. <laughs> Look, all you need to know is warp modes, drum rack, uh, and uh, MIDI that's, roll for synthesizers. If he wants to produce music, he does. I mean, really, <laughs> we know that he's going to be producing long form audio uh, essays. Pretty much that you know. <laughs> He's going to have to edit himself. So, you know, it's going to be a lot of like Soviet control, Anthem Nightcore remix when Control E, <laughs> Control Shift Delete, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Control E, Control I, Control Shift Delete, that'll get you where you need to go as a podcast or other <laughs> spoken audio format editor. But is that what people come to this show for? For tips and but, tricks? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, we've run, there's no more labor news, folks. We've run out. The The store shelves are empty at the family dollar for acquiring mm-hmm. uh, news about the labor movement. So we are pivoting <laughs> to an audio engineering podcast, which will unfortunately marginalize the purpose of me being on the show but well, I, you know i no, hope actually, our fans like it I we're gonna replace dan re- with andrew huang <laughs> well i was gonna I say the why reason why funny. <laughs> the reason why we have dan here is because we need the person who doesn't know to ask the questions there you go ask the questions that people who don't know things would ask that's right yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah i will is- be the the podcast village idiot uh, <laughs> who can who can serve as the foil for 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 my expert co-host to explain you know, everything to me? I don't like <laughs> doing I, the I, an idiot abroad format because I feel like that makes me Ricky Gervais, and that's the last thing on God's green earth I want to be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I was uh, in Pittsburgh, I had a roommate who was really into wrestling, and okay. that he really wanted to do like a wrestling podcast, and I would occasionally come and sit and watch, and I, my commentary because I don't know anything about wrestling would be ridiculous. Ridiculous, and he's like, "We need you. We need you on this show because you don't know shit, and you yeah, say the dumbest things." It's kind of like the the comedy version of the drama where you have developers react to people who like break their games, but instead of getting somebody who like made oh, the thing yeah. you're watching, you get somebody to whom it is totally alien. Well, yeah, and they I mean, come in and an they're ex- like, "Who's that's the an good extremely guy?" Extremely popular. Uh, genre of reaction video. <laughs> <laughs> I got my Nana to watch yes. Skibidi Toilet. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, but no, seriously, though, like there's, there's so many of those videos. <laughs> All right. Well, as long as we're just doing the old content mill. Welcome to 
Don't Stop It, <laughs> My name is John. I'm Dan. And I'm Lena. And we're an entirely listener-supported labor podcast, which you wouldn't know from our cold opens half That's the time. Right. So if you want to support us, head on over to Patreon, and please do so there. Hop in the Discord if you're not in it already. Message me on Patreon if you want stickers, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think it will help. Yeah, and so as we jump in it today, uh, I've got a bunch of, of quick stories I want to run through before we get into the meat of the episode. Just uh, a few items that are follow-ups and, and, and a few real short stories that didn't really have quite enough meat to be a, you know, a full session. And so I, I'll just run down these real quick. One, just to start off, you know, just a couple weeks ago, we talked about how workers in Albuquerque and Alaska had filed for the first unions at a major bank branch in decades, specifically at Wells Fargo. And now while, you know, unfortunately, the, the folks in Bethel, Alaska were forced to withdraw their union petition, uh, the folks in Albuquerque were successful and had become, you know, the first unionized Wells Fargo office and like the first unionized location of a major bank branch in decades. And well, this week we, you know, hot off that when uh, workers in Florida uh, were successful in voting to unionize the second Wells Fargo location. Uh, the employees of a Daytona Beach branch voted this week four to one in favor of joining the CWA. And Corinne Jefferson, uh, one of the workers at the store, said in a statement, quote, now, with a true seat at this table, we look forward to negotiating improvements to staffing, workloads, pay inequities, and many other issues, end quote. So congratulations to these workers. And it's pretty dope to see, you know, this taken off so quickly. Yeah, Hell definitely. Yeah. Even with these, like, kind of smaller bargaining units, it also kind of feels good to cover small bargaining units because it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, we're, we're really, we're really uh, rooting for the little, the little folks there. Well, and now I know something about Daytona Beach. <laughs> which but, I did not before. <laughs> that they but have a unionized again, Wells Fargo? <laughs> yeah, before yeah. I was like, city in Florida, got it. <laughs> what, like a motor speedway? <laughs> did not know that. <laughs> what do you think oh. the Daytona 500 is? <laughs> you are really bringing together a lot of disparate elements from my life right now <laughs> and enlightening yeah. me. <laughs> All right, yeah. fair enough. Maybe this is from growing up in a household where my dad was a big NASCAR fan, <laughs> and I'm just assuming everybody has that pervading their culture. <laughs> no, just yeah. football and basketball in my house. Mm. Fair yeah, enough. I would have assumed that was in, like, Kentucky, you know, next to the Derby, right? <laughs> yeah, all racing is the same to me. The dog track, the ponies, and the car track is the same. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so uh, in addition to, you know, shouting them out, also wanted to sort of close the loop on a strike that we had talked about just last month because, uh, you know, Teamsters at DHL's largest air hub at the CVG airport just outside Cincinnati had gone on strike last month in December after the company refused to bargain for a first contract when they uh, unionized, I believe, back in April. And, and now, though, you know, after I think it was a 12-day strike, uh, they won a tentative agreement, and now by near a unanimous margin of 98%, uh, <laughs> the workers at DHL in uh, northern Kentucky, just outside Cincinnati, approved the new contract that, according to the Teamsters, increases hourly wages by $2 per hour immediately, or, you know, on a standard 2,000-hour full-time, that's a, about $4,000 a year wage bump. And for these workers... Probably more than that, because I'd imagine a few of them work only 40 hours a week, probably working more than that. Uh, and over the life of the contract, it will see a total of $5 per hour wage increase or at least, you know, a $10,000 a year 
raise, which rocks. Uh, it also, the new contract doubles the company's 401k retirement contribution, which is really good. Uh, you know, for all our criticisms of 401ks, if you can make the company put twice as much money into it, that's always going to be a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and it establishes a worker safety committee at CVG and requires DHL to pay for the cost of healthcare premiums. So, I mean, again, these are all huge wins for these workers and, and love to see, this is something, again, you know, we've pointed out, but it's, We've seen plenty of strikes, you know, for recognition and for getting a contract when you already have one. But to see more and more of these strikes for a first contract, I think, is is important and and something that we're going to need to see as more and more companies just continue to drag their feet and refuse to bargain. Yeah, I love the uh, full healthcare premiums coverage. That's mm -hmm. kind of a, a really big deal with the in the era of companies constantly wanting to. Oh no, we'll give you a raise, but then we'll also increase your healthcare premiums. These people got both. Well, yeah, and I mean, also just like doubling 401k retirement contributions, it's kind of hard to overstate how big that is. It's like pulling teeth to get employers to increase their contribution to that at all. And they always try to come up with like weird schemes where it's like you get a such and such percent increase. But if you've been here X number of years and you wear a black hat on the job <laughs> and a name tag, you get a such and such increase. And it's like to just see this kind of uh, benefit expansion be so robust across the board is, is really reassuring. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, uh, over to our state, uh, <laughs> I guess, not to, you know, exclude you, Dan, we really, you know, I'm sure there's lots of great Rhode Island news, but we're going to talk <laughs> a little bit about Michigan here. There is. The big mitten. Yeah. We've talked a few times on the show about attempts by college athletes to unionize against the extremely exploitative conditions that they work under. And this week, they got some strong words of support from one of the highest place people in, you know, I guess college football, John Harba, who uh, is the coach of the national champions, uh, you know, the Michigan University football team, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Michigan Wolverines. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, being from Michigan, I should know this better. Uh, so he he used his post championship press conference to praise the hard work of the players and decry the lack of compensation that they get, saying, quote, the thing I would change about college football is to let talent share in the ever-increasing revenues. We're all riding the same train, and the ones that are in the position to do the heavy lifting, the ones that risk life and limb out there on the football field, are the players. Not just the football players, student-athletes. The organizations are fighting to keep all the money. The universities, the NCAA, the conferences... And it's a long past time to let the student-athletes share in the ever-increasing revenues. For a long time, people would say that unionizing would be bad. If they're not going to do it out of their own goodwill and do what's right, that's probably the next step. I have nothing against unions. That's the next step, fellas. I think that it's the way that you, we've got to go. That's what I'd like to see change in college athletics, end quote. <laughs> and uh, I mean, like to have the coach be like, uh, I think y'all should unionize is uh, kind of a shift in the way that the rhetoric is coming down from this, because uh, historically, even uh, coaches have been like, oh, you know, they're just students. Well, there, yeah, I mean, there have been like, you know, coaches on the periphery who have been in favor of, of students, uh, student athletes organizing. Uh, like in very small schools, mm -hmm. like the lower levels. And 
there have been coaches who have voiced support for increased player compensation all over the place, but it's almost always very, very vague. It's never really left. It's it's like it's more of a platitude a lot of the times than actually a, a real program. The thing I think that's so significant to me about this is that it's an explicit call for unionization, not just a like, oh, NCAA, please, out of the kindness of your heart, toss a small extra crumb mm -hmm. of, of, of the la the value produced entirely by the students. Uh, the throw it to them. He's saying, no, you guys should actually organize and 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 collectively bargain and, and take what's rightfully yours. And that it's coming from the coach of the school, like one of the biggest schools in the country that just won the fucking title. Right. I, that's, I think, to me, like a sea change as far as, as, as attitudes about this nationally. And, I mean, on the winning platform, I mean, I mm -hmm. think that the place in which he made this announcement was also pretty significant. Yeah, I mean, literally just going up on the first place stand on the podium and being like, unions, next step, get to it, guys, we <laughs> like it. But it is true, because like, I don't follow sports that closely, but a lot of previous attempts to get student-athletes more compensation, it was couched in terms of like student amenities and like mm -hmm. academic advantages and like yeah. i think i even remember hearing that there was a plan to develop more professional leagues to get them into so that there would be more job opportunities for them post-college well um, i mean well my, i'm i've uh, I, I mean i'm on board with the position that like uh we should just separate college athletics from the whole college thing and just mm -hmm. have it be a minor league like anywhere else sure and 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 recognize that these you know these players are professionals whether they're called that or not right so like that's been like the kind of the thought process that i've thought of long term but in the short term you know if we can get unions in there that would be a huge improvement <laughs> yeah no kidding well, yeah, I'm just saying like unions are like one of the most straightforward solutions here compared mm -hmm. to the harebrained idea of like, what if there was a BFL and a CFL and a DFL <laughs> and an EFL? <laughs> yeah, well, and most of the things have been like, oh, well, it's like now we're allowing them to go get part time jobs like, no, 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 no. You're pulling in billions of dollars. Give them the billions of dollars and well, then they have, we'll be square. <laughs> they have a full time job. Being in shape to yeah. play college athletics is that's your life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. No, it's like these, they're already working full time and going to class, mm -hmm. maybe. <laughs> Although, again, for in a lot of cases, it, it's the, the, the merging of this clear professional multi billion dollar industry hiding behind this. It's an amateur thing for a school. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's such a charade, and we, and we really should just drop it. <laughs> Absolutely. But, um, one last, you know, quick hit before we move into our, our bigger stories. Uh, did want to shout out the worker, the student workers of Columbia, who are, you know, one of the longest standing grad student unions and who are, you know, friends of the show we've, we've interviewed before. Uh, and they've been fighting, you know, for months now uh, to, for their right to stand up for the people of Palestine. And they've, they've now, you know, started a new program to fight back against their administration's efforts to repress uh, protests on campus, you know, like Columbia, for instance, suspended the uh, SJP and and I believe JVP chapters on campus there. Uh, well, this week, you know, it was uh, revealed that members of the union alongside other students are organizing a tuition strike to demand that the school's administration divest from the Israeli apartheid state. And over 200 students have signed up, as reported by labor reporters at the chief leader, and hundreds more have expressed interest. And, you know, like I mentioned, like administrators and bosses at Columbia have tried their damnedest to crush worker dissent there, 
but they haven't succeeded. And clearly, uh, you know, folks are, are ready to take things to another level. The, I mean, also like making it so that Jewish voice for peace can't speak. Like mm-hmm. I, I understand the racist nature of the anti-Palestinian, <laughs> like Palestinians shouldn't be able to, you know, like that, obviously it's bullshit, but you know, from the, uh, Imperial state, uh, perspective from the bourgeois perspective, it, I, I can kind of get that. But then to say that, like, you have to also suppress Jewish voices where the main, like, bullshit, and again, this is bullshit, uh, accusation is that th- these are a- anti-Semitic, to then crush the Jewish side of the argument just seems wild to me. I mean, this is a country that tried to run the Jeremy Corbyn smear campaign on Bernie Sanders, a Zionist Jew. <laughs> so, I mean, sense has been out the window for some time now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that a big part of it is that it's like they there have been so many efforts that we've seen recently that ultimately really are a sign of desperation because it, it's a flailing where there's mm-hmm. the classic thing of of press button summon ADL yes. they call everyone who's an anti-zionist and anti-semite and haha we have now no one will listen to them they won't get any coverage and they'll be forced to go away well now that everybody can see the horrors committed by the you know occupation forces every day uh, that shit doesn't really work anymore and so now the people who have gotten used to just being able to press that button and have it work every time are like well why isn't my button working this mm-hmm. is bad and so now they're like well what if i throw the button at them maybe that <laughs> will work and so yeah they just try all this horseshit and but that's also why like i think it's really good to see you know workers just being like all right fine you're going to do all this wacky shit. We're going to step up our tactics too. Like uh, the, the, the cause is just, and if you want to fucking repress our organizing efforts, fine. We'll hit you where it hurts in the fucking wallet. Mm-hmm. So hell yeah. You know, solidarity with these folks. Love to see it. Well, going from a story that is extremely clear to a story that confuses me greatly. Yes, um, very much on, so. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to a story where we talk a little bit about SAG-AFTRA. So the specter of AI has loomed large over many industries and contract negotiations in our modern day, regardless of the technology's real-world capabilities and limitations, which, as we've remarked many times, are basically dog shit at this point. The negotiations around last year's strike by 160,000 actors and writers featured heavy emphasis on protecting their work from replacement by shitty computer copies while deals have been secured for the main film and tv contract voice actors in the video game industry remain in negotiations for a new contract so this week when sag aftra announced that they had reached a deal to endorse the use of ai for video game voice acting it stirred a great deal of discussion and debate So on Tuesday, January 9th, as reported in Variety, the union reached an agreement with Replica Studios, a company that creates AI voice replicas of actors for use in video games. The agreement would allow Replica to license the voices of actors who choose to work with them for use in video games. Per Variety, the deal does not allow companies that work with SAG to use completely synthetic AI voice models to replace human actors. Rather, the deal would allow companies to pay to license an actor's voice model. Yeah. And so I'm again, we what I had like looking on this is like it's secondary reporting rather than like the actual Mm -hmm. deal or anything. So I'm not 100 percent sure how this works. But based on the way that it was presented, I believe what it means is that based on the agreement, like because this is a deal just with Republica Studios, it's not a deal with like the whole video game industry. But Mm. but the terms that were negotiated with it are kind of meant to be like a framework. Uh, for for use 
in the video game industry. And some of it, some of the language is built off of stuff taken from the, the negotiations around AI in the bigger film and TV industry contract. But my understanding of this is that basically like, you know, Replica is the company that turns samples from an actor's voice right. into a model that you can feed a script into and then will then take their voice and, and read whatever the script you feed into it is. But the, the idea here is that basically this deal allows members of sag after who are voice actors to you know go to this company and for a fee sit down and, and they get a, a compensation fee. They record a bunch of samples mm -hmm. uh, that then Replica can then use to make a model. And then if a video game company wants to hire that model for their script or whatever, then the voice actor doesn't have to then go read the script themselves directly. They can pay, the company can just pay Replica. Replica can then license the voice model to the company Replica gets the compensation fee for the work and then forwards along some percentage, presumably a high percentage, to the actor. It, it, and it, the way that it, I've seen it basically pitched is the idea is that entirely blocking AI from the use in, in video game voice acting is, they're basically arguing, is essentially impossible because, like, they don't have 100% union density, so it's, they can't just do, like, you know, a, a, a voice actor general strike to prevent mm -hmm. that. And that, therefore the best thing that should be done is to build the regulations around AI as best as possible to prevent, A, the unauthorized use of people's voice for either training or for in actual uh, performances, and to ensure that any use of AI that uses somebody's voice as the basis for it, uh, A, can only be used with the consent of the person involved, and B, that person has to get compensated every time that it's used. Now, obviously, the percentages that come into play here are really important. I have no idea what they are. Uh, and it, it it raises a ton of questions. And, 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 and obviously, yeah. there's been a lot of controversy about this issue online this week. I mean, there's plenty of reason to be concerned about what this is going to mean for the labor relations of these voice actors mm -hmm. going forward. I think that that is... I, it's hard for me to even articulate how murky of an area that is because there's so many factors that have to be taken into consideration. But I also just think from a purely technical level that this kind of deal misunderstands the value of a voice actor, mm. that it's not that they have such an appealing tone or timbre or characteristic to their voice that if it just read any line, that would be worthy of a character. It's that voice acting is a particular pursuit, like any kind of acting, where you need to reflect the not just individual meaning of the words but the words in the context of the overall piece and only somebody who's like a professional performer who's read a whole script and can meditate on the meaning of it and maybe even be in contact with the person who wrote it like i i just don't think that there's any world in which this is going to provide usable material it's going to be a repeat of those game studios who tried to use ai assets to generate background pngs and reusable character sprites and models and stuff and then eventually had to ban the process outright inside of their own studios because it was just producing garbage yeah <laughs> well and i i also think that it's really important that in regards to what you're saying to think about the actual work that actually that will go into 
kind of coordinating these AI models, like, will this actually save labor? And especially in the way that, you know, these AI models are now, I mean, think about you are talking about the inflection or the way that you would deliver something. Uh, let's say the actors really do deliver like a fully ranged model. It's like, how do you make it sound sad this time? But like, they have to get excited at the end of the line well, or, or something like, and the amount of it's, this is not going to be work saving, at least in the first place, along with the other complications. Well, and like, there's also like it's easy to do basic emotions it's easy to do like happy sad angry but how do you do like uh pretending to be happy but secretly pensive which is like (laughs) one of those really hard to strike balances that is like uh one of the emotional ranges that kind of defines like a really good actor or voice actor so i mean even outside of the labor relations of of this situation i have a million questions (laughs) well well i mean i also think there's two issues there not that they're unrelated but i do think there's two discussions Mm -hmm. they are linked but i do think they're they're slightly different one Mm -hmm. is the viability of ai to to be used for voice actors at all and the quality that it will put out and i don't think there's any disagreement from us or sag that that uh, the the anything produced by those models is going to be inferior sure. to whatever would be done by voice actors. I don't really, I don't think there's any controversy there. Like only idiot tech bros think that like that stuff will be as good as a person. Check launch and bio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, but then there's the separate question of like, okay, you have people trying to do this with AI. Is this the right way? Right. for the collect the organized workforce the union to approach this and to deal with the emergence of this technology in a way that maximally protects workers' rights and, and working conditions. Well, we did hear from SAG-AFTRA director Duncan Crabtree Ireland, who seems to have struck a somewhat different tone announcing this deal than during the actors' negotiations, saying, quote, these are the kind of terms that producers can agree to without disrupting their ability to make content. This is an evolutionary step forward. AI technology is not something we can block. It's not something we can stop that's not a tactic or a strategy that's ever worked for labor in the past end quote and like kind of agree but like i don't know you <laughs> norbert wiener letter to walter ruther mixed <laughs> with like luddites is really inflecting my analysis here and it's like no you can't stop the progress of technology but maybe throwing a spanner in the works for a little while until you can really come out on top of it might be worth doing <laughs> Yeah, because I do think that the beginning of this statement is like, these are the kind of terms producers can agree to without disrupting their ability to make content. I think that our caring about that shouldn't be that high. So so this is what I would think would be the argument from from SAG's perspective on this. And I'm not saying I necessarily 100% endorse this, but this is my reading of it basically is that I think their viewpoint on this is that the technology is here. Not that it's good, but right. the, the, the tech to uh, write an algorithm that you feed a script into and it reads it and it produces a, a voice and a reading of it without a human being doing it, that exists. And that therefore, inevitably, just based on the pressure to lower wage, wage costs, you're going to have video game companies that are going to want to use it to get right. cheaper amounts of voice acting. And so there's a high likelihood that without some sort of intervention by the union in some way, there will be plenty of companies that opt to try at least, not that this will be good, but to at least try 
to hire synthetic voice actors that aren't actually a person, don't actually require a wage, and only as a small fee to some company. And, and that that is a threat especially – to voice actors who do things for like background roles, mm-hmm. for like not the protagonist, for for smaller roles, that 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 sort of thing is kind of like an existential threat for that sort of work, and so that this contract is is especially targeted at that sort of work with the idea that okay, look, you're trying to cut your labor costs as a video game producer, and if we say look, you use any kind of AI whatsoever, then none of our workers will work with you well, then likely they'll go somewhere else and be able to get scab workers. Mm -hmm. So this idea, I think, the hope is that if they set up a way where you can get relatively cheap background actors, but the background voice actors still get paid without actually really having to go record the script themselves because they're getting a license fee on this thing every time. Whereas if you did nothing, if you offered them nothing, if you just fully stood in the way with it, the capitalist bosses of these companies would say, all right, fine, I'm going to set up a little shell company that owns you know, a, a couple of these algorithms, and I'm going to produce a bunch of completely synthetic things and use them for free because you're like stonewalling me. Again, so that's what I think their counter would be. I don't know that I agree well, with it, but that's my interpretation. And I understand that, especially as someone who's like, I'm really interested in like audio dramas, which is kind of a similar industry. And like, they don't, I don't think that there's much of a union in, in that. I mean, and I guess there is still, there's some voice actor unions, but I mean, whether or not the audio dramas that make it onto platforms have that, you think about how many of those quote unquote background actors or the, you know, I guess I should just say those background actors uh, that are playing like computer like this person's mm-hmm. voice is a computer right that's a person right now mm. but presumably it's just going to be an ai model in the future well you know if these video game developers uh can't afford to hire uh the unions at the the cost of the contracts that they demand i would encourage them to simply find the spark of joy inside themselves and become <laughs> a voice actor and do the lines themselves uh, <laughs> and, and maybe they'll turn into the next jim cummings or something yeah. look him up he's really great <laughs> um but getting getting back a little bit to to the actual uh to, to SAG's position and the details of what's going on here. So the deal does include provisions requiring the safe storage of actors' digital assets with the intent that they can't be used to train other AI models for free to then undercut their work. Crabtree Ireland says he hopes this deal presses the major video game studios to use it as a model of a way to incorporate the new technology of AI without cutting jobs, and that they'll soon sign new contracts based on this language. Per reporting by both Variety and IGN, the deal includes requirements for informed consent of each use of an actor's voice model, but some voice actors remain wary of the deal. Some called the allowance of any use of AI a betrayal, and many asked why the deal was reached without a full member vote. Some voice actors who dug into Replica's existing AI voice models decried their lack of emotion and argued endorsing their use would drive down standards and worsen the craft across the industry. So That uh, last much, one I don't agree with. Like, I think that's a, a much better articulation of my exact problem with what's going oh, on. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, like, sure, things are going to get worse, but, like, does that, doesn't that, like, I don't know. That do, I mean, maybe it is a good argument. I, I'm worried I just about... Think that it, do people really will people really truly still I mean consume all of that yes well, necessarily but, well yes but they will do, will they will they have a choice because again it's yes. capitalism everything trends mm-hmm. towards monopoly like look at what happened to streaming like yeah. once companies like Netflix got really big look what's on there it's an endless string of dreck it's yep. just 
all of this hot garbage that they can put out as cheaply as possible just to keep the content flowing. Yeah. Okay. All right. And, Fair and enough. It's, it's a race to the bottom in so many ways. And it's like I've, unions are one of the only <laughs> countermeasures against that, that, that even really exists. So like, I, I really I sympathize strongly with people who are highly critical of this, mm-hmm. whether or not it's something Same. that like kind of had to be done under whatever conditions like I could get that argument. But my criticisms of it are are many and are very in line with what these folks are saying. But so other actors, however, felt that the deal is in line with the provisions won in the strike earlier this year and fits the union's goal of not trying to completely prevent AI from being used, which the union leadership seems to believe is impossible, but to create regulations that protect actors' jobs during this technological transition. The union is putting together a membership town hall to discuss the details and hear any concerns. <laughs> Again, that feels a little out of order to me. <laughs> Yeah. Should have been done before. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of my big issues with this whole thing. It's because it's like, look, I think that the leadership of SAG after during these negotiations is in a, a very unenviable position. Like sure. I think this is an extremely difficult um issue to try and strike the perfect balance on. But I think that in those sorts of moments, that's where you really want to lean on the rank and file. Mm-hmm. Because like you know whatever, whatever decision you make is going to be controversial and some people aren't going to like and that to me i'm like that just means you need to increase the amount of democracy involved in that discussion so that it's clear to everyone that everyone who wanted to be involved in the discussion and the decision making had that opportunity and so that the ultimate decision that you make is the decision of the whole organization well how did the uaw get away with their controversial strike tactics? How did the UAW get away Mm -hmm. with doing a bunch of things that would have normally been like an unbelievable upset in the position that they were in? It's because those actions were led by democratic mechanisms Mm -hmm. within the union that that banded them all together and let them all know they were doing this like for a good reason. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, definitely. Good point. So responding to concerns, Sarah Elmale, sorry if I'm saying your last name wrong, Sarah, head of the union's interactive media bargaining unit, told Nathan Grayson of Aftermath that this deal is critically just with Replica, who actors can choose to work with or choose not to. The contract with them does not allow all companies to use voice models, but it provides a framework for potential regulations in the broader master contract with the video game companies to create guardrails for the use of AI. Quote, in the meantime, we still absolutely need a deal on the collectively bargained interactive media agreement proper. Obviously, many developers will want to use similar technology directly themselves. Having clear and binding requirements around the transparency, consent, and compensation that Replica is in compliance of must be included in the fundamental agreement covering this work. That's why we're adamant and waiting on a fair deal for the IMA, end quote. And honestly, you know, that does put some of my questions to rest is that you know look this is a very highly particular mm-hmm. bit of of labor uh, uh uh organizing bit of labor arrangement contract language whatever and that we're we're just trying to figure it, it's almost like when you if, if you ever listen to a really old guy tell you how to play poker he's like if you're not sure what's happening at the table just make a little bet to see where you're at and that's kind of yeah <laughs> that, that's kind of what this feels like to me and it's not the worst advice like it's it's pretty good kind of heuristic advice but i just can't help but feel that like we have the information already to make better decisions than this fair yeah i mean and this is something i think obviously uh this is going to be an ongoing 
debate mm-hmm. and concern among, among workers in this industry and a growing number of industries. Yes. So I'm sure we're going to be hearing more about how this actually plays out and, and in not just this agreement, but the internal discussions within SAG-AFTRA as well. Mm-hmm, yeah, definitely. And I mean, to continue the discussion on AI, I mean, it's really important to not only recognize this, you know, the idea of it replacing creativity and, you know, energy and the drive of human artists, but it's also used as often a form of labor discipline. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's really important that we talk about this as well. So so so-called generative AI is largely hype for the moment and, you know, pushed by the media to drive down the value of wages by implying that many jobs will soon be automated. And in an article by Steve Greenhouse in The Guardian, which covers the way that it's being used to uh, ramp up surveillance, really highlights this, including how it is used to harass workers across many industries. Mm -hmm. Uh, Greenhouse cites numerous examples of how a whole host of software for harassing workers under the name of AI has been deployed. Amazon uses it to automatically monitor workers' bathroom break time. Programs are used to... It's just such a ridiculous thing to do. I'm just like, the thought process that got somebody to be like, not just oh, we should monitor our workers' bathroom break time, but we should invest money in developing a computer program that can better do that more efficiently. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you, bosses? Anyways. Yeah, well, and that's just one aspect, because, I mean, the programs are used to scan workers' emails for mentions of the word union, which uh, should be illegal, uh, which I'm pretty sure it is, Mm -hmm. but maybe Uh, there's just not a caveat. No, work. companies have broad leeway for correspondence done on work devices at work time. Mm. You don't really have any right to privacy in the workplace. Interesting, interesting. Never install Slack on your phone. (laughs) Agree. Yeah. And I mean, the additional software even monitors like calls of workers at customer service centers and applies punishments for not following the script well enough. Uh, this has created a very real crisis which in which workers are actually fired by algorithm. Most of the discu- most of the discussions around the practice center around concerns that programs will mistakenly fire the quote unquote wrong person. Uh, but I mean that this really even misses the point because even if it matches with the company policy, I mean really no worker should have to be fired because some robot said that mm-hmm. they you know didn't do this or that. Uh, and, and even more so, I mean, why should they be fired? Why should they lose their livelihood mm-hmm. just because like of some bullshit company policy? And I mean, because. We all know it's incredibly dehumanizing already to be a worker. You're already incredibly alienated in the workplace. So how is it that this isn't just exacerbating that and going to cause a much further immiseration of the entire working class through this, oh, I was fired today. Uh, no, my boss didn't fire me. I got an uh, automated email. Well, yeah. and, and there's like so many other problems with the these algorithmic firings as well, which is that like, I think there have only been a couple of cases where private companies have had to kind of like open up the hood on these things. But there's yeah. always invariably racism, sexism, mm-hmm. transphobia, every element of homophobia, every element of bigotry you could come up with is usually cooked right into the code. And it's like, 
if you're a, it's it's not subtle either. You you can look at the code itself, or you can look at who they fire. It's never, it's never like a bunch of white dudes who are friends with the bosses who get algorithmically fucking fired from these jobs. So like, it it's a way to say that like we're actually not doing any discrimination. Everything's actually perfectly fair, but it's also the perfect black box to bake a bunch of discrimination into. Well, right. And, and kind of to build off of that, I mean, like that it's, it's, that's one of the things about this practice that is so, it's so reflective of neoliberalism Mm -hmm. and just like the way that labor discipline is handled under the phase of monopoly capitalism specifically, where you have extremely technocratic means of running all of these companies, like not very, very few, you know, giant companies, the companies that are rolling out these AI tools are, you know, owner driven. It's like it's a share. It's a faceless share, bunch of shareholders who don't actually run the company, and there's a board that and 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 permanent you know bureaucracy that that runs the firm instead. And this plays right along with that because what not only does this do is from the workers' perspective, it's incredibly dehumanizing. It's horrible to be fired by a fucking robot. But from the manager's perspective, you've now removed yourself. You're another layer fully mm-hmm. from like the agency of that act of basically being like, look, in the same way that you have so many managers who are cowards and will fire someone, be like, look, that's what the handbook says. My hands are tied. I didn't want to fire you. I was on your side, but the book says this abdication of responsibility. This is just another stage in that yeah. to say that I didn't fire you. In fact, no one fired you. Well, yeah, yeah. The computer fired you. So there's no one to be mad at, certainly no economic system to be mad at. It's just the ether. It just happened. Well, yeah, because it used to be like the boss walks up to you and kicks you off the job site. And then it was the boss gets the supervisor to kick you off the job site. And then it was the boss gets the supervisor to deputize an employee to go fire five people. (laughs) And then it was that. But now it's because the book said so. And now all of the people in the chain are gone. And the CEO Mm -hmm. just pays one technician to install an AI thing that just wantonly fires people. And he's like done and dusted. Look how much money I'm saving. Yeah, 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 no, that's a really good point. And we have a quote here from Virginia Dolgast, a professor at Cornell, who told Greenhouse, quote, workers are being constantly monitored, and AI-based monitoring tools can make mistakes that can translate to unfair pay cuts or firings. Workers often don't know what monitoring tools are being used, what data the tools are collecting, and how the data is used to evaluate their performance, end quote. And this black box aspect of these algorithms is just another layer on top of all of the things that we just mentioned Mm -hmm. because it would be one thing if you're like oh yeah i know that i've been taking long bathroom breaks uh, on purpose or this or what you know even even that like whatever whatever reasons you could find when you're constantly like you were like amazon's uh constant like you took uh 34 seconds to do this task right well i'm not constantly monitoring if i'm getting it done in 34 seconds and suddenly you know it's like this is added up in the the email that comes through says uh you had five infractions and you're fired and there's like no information it's it's like perfecting the panopticon because Mm -hmm. not only is there no human guard in the guard tower there never had to be there's just an array of robot security cameras monitoring everything. And sometimes they fuck up and they do things for no reason. And you have no idea why. And that's even more terrifying. Yeah, it's kind of like, what if your what if your workplace was England? 
yeah. <laughs> just cctvs well, everywhere but also the other thing that that worries me about this and i don't think actually really... you know per capita the u.s is more monitored than any uh uh country on earth people don't know that they have the uk out there as that example but we're actually more spied on than they are well it's more of a discussion topic in the uk because their emperor their empire is further in decline i think that's true <laughs> but um <laughs> Uh, the other thing that I don't think is really addressed about this is that, like, there's going to be significant bleed over, whether it's intentional or not, and it certainly will be intentional in most cases, of surveilling you professionally and surveilling all of your fucking personal information. Mm-hmm. These programs that you have to install on your laptop, your phone, whatever, and they might be your personal devices if you work from home depending on what company you work for, they're going to look up the shit you Google search. They're going to check mm-hmm. your YouTube video history. They're going to try to know every dirty little secret that they can. And they can't tell you that they're doing these things because they know that it's flagrantly illegal, but they can still act on the information that they receive. And that concerns me quite a bit as well. Oh, and then use the exa- the, the excuses that they have from other means to be like, oh, no, like if you were to be an increased uh, preference for firing because of mm-hmm. things like your YouTube search history, yeah. that then, you know, the infractions that you got are just that much more likely to get you fired. Yeah, I mean, and, and and maybe even, you know, more scandalous stuff than that, too. I could also conceive of a Terry Gilliam, William Gibson-esque kind of blackmail capitalism situation where workers are kept at their jobs based on threats of revealing their personal information mm-hmm. to the public. Oh, yeah. Yeah, real uh, operate what canary operation or whatever you know that those motherfuckers. Yeah, canary (laughs) mission kind of bullshit. Uh, But but anyway, uh, to to continue the story, some unions in Europe have won some a few mild protections like blocking German companies from firing workers without human involvement, or requiring such monitoring to be done only on groups of workers to prevent anyone from being singled out. So I guess you have to fire everyone all at once or something like that. What if we did collective punishment instead of individual punishment? (laughs) Kind of a weird lateral move. I appreciate appreciate these unions have pushed back on this, but it's like the most bureaucratic way to push back on this. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, there's, but there still really remains uh, a, a long way to go with the development of regulations that actually prevent these programs from making people's lives miserable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, companies, have tried to justify the ramped up surveillance regime by claiming monitoring of company correspondence could be used to prevent workplace violence and yeah. to make it so that workers and, and that making workers wear AI monitored wearable devices can detect chemical hazards early. But I mean, like, but those are <laughs> always the secondary goal. Uh-huh. Because the surveillance itself is just designed to intensify the work conditions and make workers scared to do anything like stepping out of line or form a union. And I mean, like, if these devices were used to detect chemical hazards, wouldn't it just be a chemical hazard device that only detects chemical hazards? It also kind of sounds to me like they want to be able to continuously test you for drugs all the time. I mean, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> which reminds me, we do actually already have blackmail capitalism. It's called drug uh-huh. testing. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Well, and the fact that, I mean, how many job interviews make you provide your social media handles now? Same yeah, thing. that's true. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's why I can't get also, hired just, anywhere. Just always lie and say you don't have social media. Or make dummy accounts. Not that complicated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, there are some U.S. unions that have started to fight 
for rights for workers in this area. And I mean, not just work for workers in the arts, like we were just discussing. The CWA has won requirements uh, at some call centers to prevent bosses from using AI monitoring for calls for disciplinary purposes. Uh, such monitoring can really only be used for training in these agreements. Dan Reynolds, assistant research director for the CWA, kind of nailed it when he said, quote, AI is a new technology often used to speed up work, de-skill the work, make workplaces more stressful, and make jobs more demanding. Our concern about AI isn't just the effect on the number of jobs, but how it will affect the quality of the jobs, end quote. And And that's so on the fucking nose because like mm -hmm. every fucking technological innovation under any sensible system of administration and management, it would make everybody's lives easier but Mm -hmm. under capitalism it instead intensifies the labor of everybody except for the people who do none of it and collect all the money exactly uh yeah and that they're very very much channeling uh uh uh, harry braverman with that Mm -hmm. that that analysis from uh, labor and monopoly capital great great book on on the way that uh capitalism and and the intensification of labor via um mechanization continually de-skills work exactly what this is trying to do yeah well and also i mean maybe this is a little bit kind of a a super zoomed out view but it's also kind of a form of rent seeking from the owning class where they really just want to sit back and collect all the money while a robot does all their work for them yeah what if skilled labor was a turnkey operation like a laundromat yeah, I mean, eventually, the the whole thing, this whole idea, just all, all it does, though, all to, when you zoom out that far, is exacerbate everything in volume three of capital. All, mm-hmm. you know, the, the 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 tendency of the rate of profit to fall. Well, you just removed the part of the whole system of value cycling, human labor that actually produces new value. You've you've now just got the same algorithm anybody else can buy and deploy for one cent an hour cheaper than you're selling it for. And then somebody else can do the same thing. And there's no bottom below which they can reduce it because they're not actually paying wages to anybody. So uh, anyways, capitalism is a ticking time bomb. Thanks, David Harvey. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, moving into one of our other favorite topics of discussion, and by favorite, I mean most common, not most liked. Um... The horrors, really, of modern capitalism and the way they're not really discussed very much uh, in the mainstream media, specifically around conditions of worker slavery. And, and you know, we've talked a lot on this show about that topic, and we've also talked a lot about on the show about Starbucks. And we've got a story Ooh. this week that is an intersection of those two things, where, you know, obviously over the last couple of years, Starbucks has become the face of bad corporate management due to its scorched earth war against its own workers. But they're also terrible in so many other ways as well, uh, with their staunch support for Israel, threat to cut benefits for LGBTQ workers, and many other horrible policies. And one that we've previously spoken before on the show about uh, has been their use of suppliers with really awful labor conditions. And that was highlighted this week in a new lawsuit uh, that basically the way that the company uses suppliers who routinely abuse their workers and engage in human trafficking and slavery and the relationship between that and their claims to produce ethical coffee. So like as reported by NBC news on Wednesday, January 10th, the national consumers league, which is a uh, like a customer advocacy group, uh, they sued Starbucks on behalf of, 
of its customers, basically the entirety of America, I guess, at this point, for fraudulently claiming that its coffee is, quote, 100% ethical. (laughs) Emmanuel Kant moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, first off, to to be a a pedant here, uh, under capitalism, that's impossible. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, isn't that the entire thesis of the hit show, The Good Place? <laughs> yeah. And so, but anyway, so this suit cites reporting that we've previously discussed on the show documenting the horrific conditions facing workers uh, on farms in Guatemala, Brazil, and Kenya, which supply coffee beans to Starbucks. Uh, you know, specifically, we just recently talked about that report from Brazil about how many mm-hmm. workers there face conditions of modern slavery. I, I also and, distinctly remember when I was first being trained at Starbucks, my way too enthusiastic manager was talking about how he got to go on this trip with a bunch of other managers where they went to Guatemala and they met some farmers. And it was this really nice old couple. And they were really it was wonderful. And they showed him around and the farm was beautiful. And I'm like, you know, those stories about how, like, you can't go to a socialist country because they'll just show you the one nice place every accusation man (laughs) (laughs) oh man i remember one story where it's like oh i want this really rare uh set of beans that only comes in every once in a while where they have to harvest them from the side of a cliff and people die all the time to get them (sighs) yeah and they're just like and that's a good thing (laughs) right just with no understanding of how horrifying that is um and and so, you know, unsurprisingly, Starbucks responded exactly the way that you would expect uh, to this lawsuit uh, through lies and gaslighting, saying, quote, We are aware of the lawsuit and plan to aggressively defend against the asserted claims that Starbucks has misrepresented its ethical sourcing commitments to customers, end quote. Nestle moment. <laughs> well, no, and that's the thing. No, and, and that and, and and you know, we'll get into that very quickly because there's a lot of parallels. And because you know, that's uh, lies obviously there's been extensive reporting for years, not just the recent reports on the use of slavery conditions for many of these farms. Uh, the Starbucks claims they've rectified past labor abuses exposed in Guatemala and Kenya but provided no actual evidence for this. And uh, just for to me, I think you know some commentary on this. Like I, I think ultimately this lawsuit really just continues to expose how these fair trade certifications that are thrown out there are again they're not actually about improving conditions for uh, agricultural workers in all of these other countries. They're about deflecting responsibility. Mm-hmm for those conditions while allowing them to continue. It's very similar to the co-opting and demobilizing function that OSHA plays here in the United States, creating the myth that there is a means of responsibility and holding people to account while allowing the same horrors to simply continue. Well, and it's also, it's just advertising. It's a fucking ad campaign. Mm-hmm. It's like, I just don't understand how you could be a consumer in this country and be like, okay, wait a minute, organic, that was fucking fake. Um, you know, <laughs> and it's it's like, you know, extra healthy, like sugar-free, all the fad diets ended up being fake. Anything I've ever seen printed on a package besides the name of the product and the ingredients has been fake and you can't trust the ingredients <laughs> half the time but fair trade this one seems legit guys let's roll with fair trade (laughs) we figured out a way to take all the bad things out of capitalism one weird trick which is just lying to you about it um and so uh i don't know if it's genevieve or genevieve uh but we'll 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 go with genevieve so genevieve lebaron a a scholar who studied these programs at simon fraser university in canada actually that probably means it is genevieve but uh 
Uh, she said, quote, uh, we have incident after incident that's uncovered in these supply chains. And still, companies go around and make these kind of claims that they have 100% sustainable or ethical sourcing, end quote. And she cited the chocolate industry and there its it history of child slave labor as being, quote, basically identical, end quote, to the conditions faced by workers on coffee farms around the world. What do you know? Chocolate and coffee are basically the exact same as the <laughs> sugar industry was when it started. Yeah. No, it's true. And so, like, look, we know that no, the likelihood of any court actually forcing Starbucks to clear up its act is is near zero. But these lawsuits do still help expose the lies behind Starbucks' image, and they force the company to respond in the media. It puts them on the back foot, which does help the efforts of groups like Starbucks Workers United who are fighting, you know, on the ground to actually improve conditions for workers and give them the power to force the company to stop employing suppliers that treat their international workers this horribly. But to move on to our next story that is actually kind of related because we these are we get these like we had two stories on AI and now we got two stories on agricultural slavery, uh, America's American capitalism. And the specific mental gymnastics that these companies do to try and justify their actions to the public is also a big element of both of these. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, workers at the UFCW have been sounding the alarm about the proposed merger between grocery giants Kroger and Albertsons. Uh, ever since it was announced last year, uh, because that will inevitably lead to job cuts and store closures as Kroger monopolizes more and more of the grocery sector. But and another reason why it's horrible uh, was exposed in a new article this week in Lever News by friend of the show, Sam Knight, who dug into the merger more and exposed some of the sinister exploitation at the heart of Kroger's business model. Yeah, shout out to Sam Knight. Yeah, absolutely. This is a really good article, too. So, um and as he explains in the piece, part of how Kroger has tried to sell its acquisition of Albertsons to regulators as being good for workers is by claiming that they'll increase the number of locally grown products in stores that they take over. I love to get paid in selling more locally grown products. <laughs> Yeah, and so as part of that pledge, they've highlighted their relationship with, among others, Blueberry Farmers, Southern Press, and Packing at its Georgia stores as an example of how they work with local suppliers. Like, look, we, we took over this small chain in, in Georgia, and we started putting these products on the shelf. Look how great that is. Um, and, and specifically highlighting it, Kroger uh, Vice President Stuart Aitken said in a press release, quote, from Stemilt Cherries in Washington to Sun Pacific Citrus in California to Talbot Farms and Palisade Peaches in Colorado and Southern Press Blueberries in Georgia, we know just how important local products are to our customers, end quote. Hmm. That reads exactly like an advert that you'd hear at the beginning of a YouTube video. Or at the gas station that has oh, ads at it now. Yeah, oh actually, that's probably a better example because those ads are so much worse. Uh-huh. Um... <laughs> So the big problem with this, though, because, you know, that all sounds great. It's like, okay, look, it's this giant, awful company, but, hey, at least they're, you know, helping the local small farmers get their stuff to market. That's good. Um, the problem with that is that Southern Press and Packing, the blueberry farmers in Georgia, highlighted uh, by Mr. Aitken there, uh, like so many other agribusinesses in this country, uh, source their labor by using labor contractors engaged in human trafficking in order to get the cheapest labor possible. Uh, their primary source of labor for years has been a firm run by Maria Leticia Patricio, 
which has been indicted by the Department of Justice for running a $200 million trafficking ring where workers were kidnapped, their passports were stolen, they were beaten, some were even raped, and in the case of two workers, they were even killed under the abuse of this company. And this is how the wonderful local small agribusiness keeps its prices low enough to be attractive to Kroger to put them on their shelves. And we're so proud of our relationship with this company <laughs> that you should overlook the damaging effects of a merger we would like to do. Am I getting the narrative here <laughs> yes. correct? That's the argument. Uh, wow. Yeah. Sorry, I just need um, a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean this, and this. Well, and, uh, this case really it highlights the ineffective nature of our bullshit system of regulation. Mm -hmm. Like the during before this lawsuit, you know, was filed by the DOJ against this labor contractor, uh, the state of Georgia's state advocate for for their state Department of Labor, whose job is uh, their whole job is to observe working conditions and advocate for workers' rights. Okay, was Maria Leticia Patricio's brother? Uh huh. <laughs> And multiple Georgia State Department of Labor officials took bribes from Patricio's organization, according to the feds. Yeah, so they've got like a whole family system all uh -huh. up in here. This, I mean, and maybe this is just uh, because it's what pops into my head, but it reminds me of when in South Dakota they legalized weed via uh, referendum, but then the governor said, oh, wait, no, you didn't because her husband couldn't patent the plants and he owns a plant patenting business and basically well, and, and, you know that sort of uh, like internal family corruption kind of thing well, but in this case with horrible human trafficking and the person who's supposed to be overseeing that being the person who's supposed to like stop the human trafficking mm -hmm. well it's also just like you know People often ask, like, why are senators allowed to prospect on stocks that they regulate? And it's like, well, that's because that's the foundation of our entire business class is that you, <laughs> yeah. you get someone on the inside. You, in some cases, get your literal actual sibling to go and be the regulator who oversees your business. And then that's it. You win. Game over. Yeah. Well, and it and it reminded me so much. I mean, honestly, this is we've had so many stories lately about state departments of labor mm -hmm. doing just the worst shit. Because like we were just talking about how the Indiana Department of Labor covered up the deaths of multiple Amazon workers. Yep. So I mean, it's it's horrible. And and this is not an isolated incident either. Because in in the article, Sam Knight dug into Kroger's network of local suppliers, and he discovered at, at least three other suppliers have been charged with human trafficking and systemic wage theft in just the last two years. <sighs> And like many big corporations, Kroger claims that they have a code of conduct, which they hold their suppliers to, uh, but they release no information on how or if that code is enforced, uh, making it essentially meaningless. It's very similar to the chivalric code in that it's mostly a myth. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we've done an internal inv investigation, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the CIA has investigated itself and found no links to the crack trade, but... <laughs> Uh, so uh, Lupe Gonzalo, who's an organizer with the workers' rights organization, the Coalition of Imakali Workers, which has done a lot of great uh, work for, for 
agricultural workers on like the eastern part of the U.S. Because, uh, you know, we think a lot about work, farm worker organizing only pretty much in the context of like Southern California mm -hmm. because so much of our food is grown there. But the CIW has done a lot of work uh, with especially like workers in like Florida and in the Gulf Coast and, and in like the Carolinas. And, and so uh, Lupe Gonzalo, who's an organizer with them, told Sam Knight, quote, even though they say they're protecting workers' rights, that's not really what's happening through this policy. In the last few years, we've seen a number of modern-day slavery and forced labor cases where Kroger has bought from suppliers, which are places that, according to their policy, they shouldn't be buying from, end quote. Yeah, and so clearly it just like really shines a light on that lie of we have an in internal policy system and it's rigorous and we don't ever violate it. And then you, we just like- We can regulate ourselves. What about all these violations that are right there able to be seen? Look, the British government has a strict policy of never emboldening pirates to attack the Spanish Navy, and we're very clear about that and have been for hundreds of years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, well, and the thing is, the other thing, too, like, uh, the CIW isn't just, you know, monitoring and pushing back against this program. They're, they actually have their own program to try and do something about it. Uh, they've created a fair food program over for over a decade. I believe they created it in 2011. Um which provides independent audit and inspection of labor conditions on participating farms instead of relying on these businesses to regulate themselves. Essentially, really doing the work that the Department of Labor and OSHA claim to do, but don't for a combination of legal, budgetary, and ideological reasons. Um, and that program has actually been very effective in eliminating the worst abuses of how migrant agricultural workers are treated on the farms that participate in it. And so obviously Kroger has declined to participate in that program because they care about their profits, not about the conditions their workers face. Uh, and when some Kroger shareholders proposed their own version of a similar program where the company would agree to independent auditing to ensure that it was meeting its code of conduct, uh, <laughs> Kroger went to the SEC who allowed Kroger to block their own shareholders from voting on the proposal uh, due to the, the board's claim that it would, quote, hinder management's fundamental ability to run the company's day-to-day -day operations, end quote. Which really- <laughs> National just, security. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It just means, uh, well, you know, fiduciary obligations are, you know, paramount, right? I mm -hmm. mean, and if, if I can't do that, then uh, what else is there to do? I mean, yeah. it, it's just so many words to say, uh, don't vote on this. We don't want to. You know, well, yeah, it's like, yeah, we know you you want us to help the workers, but we want to make the most money, so mm -hmm. shut up. Yeah, mm -hmm. like, <laughs> uh, and and so you know, a few politicians have spoken out against the deal, like uh, Senator Ron Wyden, and the FTC is due to make its decision on whether the deal is okay or whether to try and block it next week. But so far, the outcry against this merger that will only make the largest grocery monopoly even larger and more powerful is largely coming from the rank and file themselves. And they've pointed out, you know, folks like like Reform UFCW and other other rank and file folks organizing within there. Uh, and I know like especially like the leadership of like UFCW Local 3000 has been very, very local against the merger. So there's a lot of folks in the union who have been pushing back against this. And, and if the merger goes forward, Kroger would control... <laughs> A full 22% of the country's entire grocery market, almost a quarter, behind only Walmart as far as market share. So you basically, if this goes forward, essentially half the country will be getting their groceries from either Walmart or Kroger. 
which is that's like ridiculous. <laughs> and and this is again and to to remind people about Kroger, like the Kroger, the way they got this this big. Uh, is by creating conditions so horrible for their workers that neither half of their workers have to skip meals because their pay is so low. And so giving that company more leverage over the labor market is exactly the opposite of good for workers or society as a whole. And so like, it's really important uh, that the labor movement push back to to fight this merger because it's, it's just going to make conditions that are already bad for grocery store workers even worse and enable these horrific abuses for agricultural workers. Well, and it's also companies like this that uh, push all of the local grocery stores and all of the competing businesses out of business and create food mm-hmm. deserts as a yep. result of these quote-unquote market forces that are supposed to be like the the sacrosanct driving force of our economy, that the, the, the rising tide that lifts all boats. Well, you know, newsflash, it's drowning a lot of fucking people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean, like, this really, I think that this should encourage people, especially listeners who are in the UFCW, to join the UFCW reform slate because, I mean, those are some of the people who are are actually fighting against these conditions like not only on this level but also to try to make sure that the union as a whole is really doing its absolute best to make sure that this sort of merger can't happen and that the union is much more of a fighting union well and moving to a story that proves why reform slates are often such a thing worth getting involved with uh let's speaking talk- of a fighting union yeah a fighting ass union <laughs> no fucking doubt there let's talk a little bit about the uaw so the fight to unionize the entire auto industry by the uaw has been one of the most electric movements to emerge as part of the recent labor upsurge and even though it's only been ongoing for about a month thousands of workers have signed up across multiple companies we've got a few updates this week on the progress made at three of them which are vw mercedes and tesla <laughs> tesla so okay, yeah uh, i know my th- prediction where well, i my prediction from the episodes already you know i i'm having some confidence in it Look, shit comes true faster than you think sometimes. But uh, uh, reporting for The Guardian, Michael Sinato spoke with workers in Chattanooga about what issues they're facing, or rather, what issues they're fighting to change at VW. Josh Epperson, who has worked at the plant for 12 years and participated in past organizing drives, said the core things VW workers want to improve are increased costs of healthcare, excessive overtime, being made to work on Saturdays, and the very high turnover rates caused by these other problems. Workers at the plant make a median of $58,000 a year, while VW brought in nearly $60 billion in profits in 2022 alone. Which is, that's like such an unfathomably big number. Like, I know that VW is like, I, th- they, I think they're the biggest Western automaker mm-hmm. in the world because of how many smaller brands they own. That's, but that's, that's so much money. Well, it's like, imagine <laughs> a lot of pennies. Imagine the most pennies you could even imagine. Imagine so many pennies that you can't even see the horizon. And that's how many dollars they fucking made. Um, <laughs> like, that's enough for VW to buy its own Navy. A VW could buy Guam, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Yolanda Peoples, another twelve-year veteran assembly worker, said, "Quote: We do this every day. This is what pe- this is what we get paid to do. So we should have a say as far as how certain things are run in the plant. This is what we need inside a Volkswagen. But you have a lot of people who are like, yes, this is what we want, but they're really afraid of getting any backlash from management.' End quote." 
And, and it's like, I mean, it's understandable because these automakers have been really successful in repressing the workers' uh, attempts to organize in the past. But, I mean, really, I think that we're going to see the tides turn with the strength of the UAW being uh, kind of a, a factor that makes it so people aren't as afraid. They mm-hmm. know that they're going to be protected mm-hmm. by that fighting union. Well, and they, you know, the, the workers have reason to fear because the, the company has a history of this kind of thing. And the company, for their part, has pushed back against claims that they've tried any kind of union busting, saying that they didn't destroy union materials in the break room, but that the room was just routinely cleaned. One, yeah. trying to blame the janitors for what they were obviously up to. And two, also, my, I didn't destroy union materials in the break room t-shirt has people asking a lot of questions already answered by my shirt (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's wild like their response to this has been like we aren't anti-union how dare you call us anti-union we have union members on our boards all throughout germany we're not (laughs) anti-union yes we exploit the workers still even though we have these relatively meaningless board seats but they're there Mm -hmm. yeah and i mean just like routinely cleaned you're saying that these educational materials are on the list of things to be cleaned yeah they're not snickers wrappers guys they're basically implying that like all the organizers did was leave a bunch of flyers on Mm -hmm. the like break room tables and that they were just swept into the trash but i'm like they're I don't believe you. They clearly put things on the bulletin board and the, the janitors don't come through and pick everything that's thumbtacked to the board off and throw it away every day. Right. Well, and not that's everything. You clean just, a breaker. Just specific things. Right. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's clear bullshit. And it's just like, also, the fact that unions in Germany forced you to do other things <laughs> does not mean you're not anti-union you fought them to, for them to win those things in germany just like you're fighting the union here it's Look, the, the classic people... uh we're not anti-union we just don't think that there should be one right well, it's, it's it's democrat <laughs> right. brain it's like it the the unions win something despite your best efforts and now you claim credit for it, it it's just exactly it's just democrat brain all the way down Meanwhile, Tesla is also feeling the heat. On Thursday, January 11th, Josh Idelson at Bloomberg reported that Tesla will be giving all production workers, quote, market adjustment pay increases, end quote. They are definitely not doing this because they're scared of the growing momentum among Tesla workers who want to join the UAW, nor are they frightened by the situation that uh, they've generated in Sweden. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they, this stuff is so funny because, like, every time this happens, you see a flood of people out here. Like, you have like the, the like, no, no, they're just doing this because uh, every company is raising uh, <laughs> wages because of the cost of living, and it's because uh, Musk knows that if he pays the workers more, that 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 they'll work. It's wild to watch people like do these mental gymnastics, but not just to do them over such a ridiculous thing, but to cape for like. Not just a billionaire, but one of the stupidest. No, yeah, yeah. Here's the thing: like a lot of billionaires, uh, Chris on Beat Beep remarks on this really often. Most billionaires don't open their mouths so much. They don't want to let right. you know who they are or how their brain works because they know they're evil. They know that they're probably morons <laughs> yeah. and they know that they get their money from avarice and hate and greed. But Elon Musk, <laughs> I don't know, man. Something's different about that guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even even Bezos had like. 
sense enough to avoid saying some of the stupid shit that Musk said. Or, or, <laughs> when, or when Zuckerberg goes and says something really stupid, it's just weird and off-putting and like, you know, pod person stuff. Whereas Elon <laughs> will come out and cause problems for himself and everyone over and over and over. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. I mean, like, that's not even to say the kind of ignoring of the, it's like, so where did the market adjustment come from? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> where, like, <laughs> yeah. what cause? It's like, just this benevolence of, of the CEO, or is it the fact that the uh, market is reflecting <laughs> the union's raise in conditions for workers in a major sector that can have that has a fuck ton of power well yeah it, i'm just imagining what like a manager walking down like a production floor waving a sensor with smoke <laughs> dragging behind it announcing price changes the yeah. market giveth and the market taketh away yeah that, that famous uh, uh scene in american history where henry ford called a sunday mass and announced he was inventing the 40-hour work week um, <laughs> But the uh, the biggest organizing news in the auto industry this week was actually at Mercedes-Benz in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Again, what a great place name, where nearly a third of the workers have signed cards to join the UAW. Uh, on Wednesday, the union officially announced their organizing drive at the plant with a video of Mercedes workers talking about the conditions they want to fight to improve at their factory. And Jeremy Kimball, a machine operator who has worked for Mercedes for 25 years, said, quote, in the past, people didn't know if we had a pathway forward here. Now everybody's coming together and seeing what the pathway is. And it's through the union. When we get our union in here, I think people will once again look at Mercedes and say, it's not just another job. It's a career job. It's a job where generations will want to come and work. And that'll spread out to the suppliers and then to the broader area, end quote. Hell yeah. And my favorite yeah. part of that is when this motherfucker says when we get our union in here mm -hmm. correct yeah, and also man. our union i like yeah. that that mentality and then on top of that you're just, we're just uh fucking falling out of our chairs with that last part it's like <laughs> and then it will spread to the suppliers <laughs> yeah. in the broader area fucking nailing this so as the uaw rather the uaw points out that mercedes-benz has averaged over 15 billion dollars in profits every year for the last decade spending 2 billion on stock buybacks last year alone over 6,000 workers at the plant produce the gle gls and electric EQS models, and over 2,000 workers have already signed up. Workers pointed out that while these are supposed to be good careers in auto manufacturing, many still live paycheck to paycheck after years or decades on the job. And I gotta imagine it's, you know, it's one thing if you have any old job that where you're living paycheck to paycheck, but to make luxury vehicles? Yeah! There's like, there's a place that I drive past every day on my way to work that makes yachts, and I always wonder about how much the guys in the yacht factory are making. You know, well, yeah, well, that's one of the things like, I'm like, if you made this, I, I kind of had this, this, this is not exactly the same, but I almost thought about this the same way with like Moog, where it's like, yeah. if the product you make a whole, like where an, an essential component of it is that it is expensive, mm -hmm. that it is exclusive, that it is a, a thing for only rich people. Hand built. You would think... The people make that the, that the owners of such a company would be particularly attuned to the risks of abusing the people that make that product. Well, yeah, of 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 the ease with which somebody can look at that company and be like, 
wait, why haven't we done the whole pitchforks and torches thing? Like, why are we allowing these ridiculously opulent rich motherfuckers to make us make their fancy cars while we have to live fucking paycheck to paycheck? And it's with the cost of living in the South, it's not even that expensive to pay people a good salary there. Yeah, well, it's like, like you, you make an artisan luxury product and you don't want to pay your workers like artisans <laughs> you want to yeah. pay them like fucking as close to slave wages as you can manage yeah and it's like because it, it's like look it, you know the workers deserve to receive the fruits of their value no matter what the product they're making it is obviously mm-hmm. but it's just it's so much more blatantly mm-hmm. uh uh ex- like the the exploitation is so much easier to see right when the product is that expensive well, and, and, and but because uh, because even even with things that aren't that luxury i mean people can point it out i mean it was the same line with the big three that was so resonated with so many people of it's like we should be able to afford the vehicles that we build yeah well and it's like you know maybe it's actually more stark in other industries based on material concerns but people respond to like the poetic kind of injustice mm-hmm. of this this is very like recognizable and digestible on a on a on a narrative level for people and it's one of those opportunities where like you know the material and the ideological have not diverged at all <laughs> you know like this is, yeah. this is a very concrete issue here yeah um so yeah i mean overall the fight to organize non-union auto plants is going to be an incredibly long and arduous battle but the progress made in just a few weeks since the end of the stand-up strike has been inspiring and points to 2024 being another major year in the labor movement and i think just as lena was talking about we were probably not optimistic enough in our yearly (laughs) wrap-up about how the uaw is going to be handling this yeah, definitely. And I mean, like you mentioned the ideological aspects of, you know, these sorts of things. Well, we got to move over to the ideological state apparatus of mm-hmm. sorts where. Well, <laughs> I, I, I would not include the, the this is in a corporate outlet. I wouldn't. Include All right. Them so this is, small, this, is, this is small news. But but either way, small yeah, J journalism, the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, you're right. I'm being oh, a little this is, unfair. Th- this is a small independent outlet. This they they actually do good work. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, th- who's they? Hey, hey, uh, they is uh, High Country News, uh, which is a nonprofit outlet that it covers most of the Western U.S. Uh, and has for over 50 years. This week, the staff announced their formation of a wall-to-wall union covering Hell, all yeah. non-managerial staff at the paper, which is huge. Wall. We love a wall-to-wall union. And the, the new union covers writing, marketing, art, editorials, customer service, and basically every other function. These workers are joining the Denver News Guild, CWA local... 37074, uh, joining the workers at the Denver Post and other local newspapers. I guess, you know, maybe when I said that first thing, I was thinking of the Denver Post. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) oh, yeah, that may be why. Yeah, the Denver Post is absolutely part of the ISA, but High Country News is is not. The the Denver Post, the official state mouthpiece of that evil horse at the airport. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, and Roberto Guerrera, the paper's visual editor, said, quote, the High Country News Union is an investment in the future of the organization during a difficult time for the journalism industry. I'm proud of our work and thankful for the progress HCN has made in supporting its staff in the last few years, but there is much to do to make this a more sustainable workplace, and I feel strongly that our continued
continued evolution as an organization will be best served by a greater collective voice in decisions and plans that impact us all, end quote. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, showing clearly that this union is intended to be a democratic bulwark, uh, you know, in this kind of situation where they're, you know, obviously at the whims of management, even in this nonprofit kind of outlet, and again, not to, you know, disparage them too much, but, you know, they still are going to be really speaking to what the uh, the the managers of this nonprofit are saying, and they're saying, no, we are the ones who produce this. We should have a lot more say and control in the matter. Yeah, well, and I, I mean, ultimately, I think it's it's a it's a important reflection of of just an understanding, you know, by the folks at at, at High Country News of just you know where the journalism industry is right now, and that it's basically you know in a, a race to being almost a, almost a complete monopolization you know, uh, uh, of a sector that you would think, you know, just the transmission of information would be ripe for having a huge breadth of smaller media. But but with the, you know, rapacious drive of only profits, only profits, only profits, and the consolidation of the, like, free news space by, like, Google and Facebook and mostly just those two, really, <laughs> you have so many outlets just being driven out of business. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you need uh, worker control in the workplace, in journalism, just to keep the place from turning into a AI bullshit mill. Well, yeah, it's like um, how we've seen some sparks of journalistic re- resistance in places you wouldn't expect. Like when everybody was like, mm-hmm. why is Teen Vogue suddenly our fucking comrade? <laughs> right. And it was like, why did... Seth Harp have to publish his Fort Bragg murders article in Rolling Stone. You know, like, that doesn't really make a lot of sense on its face value until you realize that, like, monopoly journalism is a huge fucking problem in this country. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And and these sorts of efforts are a great way to help uh, fight fight back against that tide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the workers themselves have requested voluntary recognition by this Friday, and they basically you know if they i'm guessing that if it they don't get their voluntary recognition by uh this friday that they're going to immediately move to getting an election called but they said that they plan to fight for fair wages and just cause protections and dependent health care that workers can actually afford uh, plus you know i'm sure all of the other things that unions fight for uh in journalism and any other industry hell yeah we love to see it. And, you know, to for our last story, to continue to close out on a high note, uh, you know, one of the running themes that we have talked about so many times on the show is really those, like, the two hurdles that the the legal system for, for labor law in the U.S. creates for organizers. That first one, winning the union election in the first place to get yourself established as the sole collective bargaining uh, uh, organization. But then the one we've seen that's so challenging, especially for small unions, is getting your employer to follow the fucking law mm-hmm. and actually sit down and bargain a first contract with you. And, and that that that's been a huge challenge for so many people because of how weak U.S. labor law is and how how weighted it is in favor of the bosses. And so we've seen a lot of folks forced to strike. And so it has it's it. We really want to highlight those cases where those smaller you know newer unions have been able to win a first contract, overcoming you know a lot of resistance 
from their bosses. And so this week, we were excited to see that, uh, you know, workers at the Guttmacher Institute, who we've talked about a couple times on the show, these are, are reproductive justice workers who their their whole real career is, is fighting to preserve access to reproductive rights for folks across the country. But unfortunately, as we've kind of seen to be the case for a lot of folks in that sector, surprisingly and a bit disappointingly, uh, that's been a struggle to to win those unions in a lot of cases. Planned Parenthood has done union busting, which really sucks. Uh, and and you know the Guttmacher Institute itself, its administrators, uh, you know, put some pretty fierce backlash on workers at the Guttmacher Institute back when they unionized with the OPEIU back in September of 2022. They hired high price union busting attorneys, and just to add insult to injury, the the folks that they hired are. <laughs> Labor anti-labor attorneys who then turn around and took a lot of that money and donated it to anti-abortion causes, uh, which just makes the whole thing, the union busting campaign, all that much more bullshit. But thankfully, you know, despite all that, the administrators were not successful. The workers successfully organized, and now they have, you know, finally won their first contract. And in their new contract, workers won a minimum salary floor of fifty thousand dollars guaranteed annual COLA, funds for staff who need reproductive care, and more. And announcing their win on Twitter, the union said, quote, although we didn't get everything that we wanted for this contract, we are celebrating this significant milestone as an excellent jumping off point for continued advocacy for all Guttmacher staff. Hell yeah. And I mean, I think that hopefully this year can not only be a year of the continued resurgence of labor in organizing new unions, but also hopefully the year of first contracts where Mm -hmm. we see a giant amount of victories that have been long fought for by unions that have formed since the beginning of the labor upsurge. Absolutely. And it also is going to be yet another year, a continuation of memes. And the year I, of the meme review. They're just memes don't go away. They it's one of the <laughs> things that is just evergreen. And I I think it's mostly the reason why it has stayed as a staple in the show. And so we're gonna move to that now with uh actually, you know what, I don't understand this first one, so I don't want to do it. <laughs> Well, no, this first one is just, it's making fun of a lot of the same bullshit we were talking about with AI at the beginning <laughs> of the show. So, yeah. This is uh, this is a picture from, I believe it, it's at a trade show, mm-hmm. basically like a, a tech show where you go and all these startups are like, look, we I we made a, a toaster that has a TV screen on it for some reason. And like, we made a juicer that you can sync to a Bluetooth speaker and it also <laughs> steals all your personal information. It's amazing. But like... <laughs> And so this is a picture of one of those booths at there. And then it's with a caption from uh from Ed Zitrin on on I th- I don't know if this was on Twitter or not but uh and it, because the picture is of a booth that is advertising Blovo the chat GPT for animals. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's captioned Yeah man, Blovo the chat GPT for animals. Blovo the chat GPT for animals. The chat DVD for air malls. The chart blimp for blant blanc. <laughs> I it is very it's silly, but I just like I'm still stuck on the what? chat 
what? On Blobo, the chat GPT for animals. Yeah, me too. It's also like a real life instantiation of the laziest joke anybody can make about the emergence of technology, which is just like, oh, you invented a new kind of blender. What if it was new kind of blender for dogs? And for dogs has long been like the shorthand for like, I am a thoughtless idiot who cannot come (laughs) come up with new stuff, but thinks of myself as an ideas guy. And here it is. They were just like, what if the chat AI was for your dog? What if your mom was the computer? You know? <laughs> oh my gosh yeah just everything just ridiculous john you, yeah you should do the next yeah, one. So the next one is cats and hard hats and it's a real fucking banger i love this one so it's just four cats in their hard hats uh with all their various you know uh guy on the job site accoutrements and it, and says, it looks like they're at, this is at like dusk too because yeah. it's pretty dark it's not pl- pitch black but but it's pretty dark yeah out. the the job site has all of the lights on you can kind of see in the back um in the background there and it says me and the boys casually walking back into work after being missing in action for an unknown amount of time and then one of them <laughs> just says think they'll notice and the other one says nah management never shows up anyways <laughs> <laughs> I do love uh, a good story of someone who just isn't at work and then, you know, will show up. He's like, oh, yeah, no, I was just down at the gas station. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I went into a smoke shop recently to get a new 510 thread battery for vaping. And uh, I walked into the vape shop and I'm just kind of like looking around. I'm like, hello? Hello? I like look at the camera. I wave to the camera so they know that I know that I'm like, you know, on camera. I'm not going to steal anything. And then this dude with like a big frizzy head of hair and a big gray goatee walks in the front door and he's like, sorry, bro. I had to go get a sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) Bro, there's tens of thousands of dollars worth of merchandise in here. But when you need a sandwich, you need a sandwich. Look, man, yeah. that's this is the this is the the it's a, light universe version of when nature calls. <laughs> well, and if if they've right. got so much, you know, valuable material in there, maybe they should have more staff. Yeah, mm-hmm. true, <laughs> true. Well, it is a vape shop, so I kind of get the impression that the guy behind the counter was the owner and only employee, which tends to Probably. be the situation with vape shops. I, I think, yeah, I was going to say, I think that is generally how vape shops work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, our next one is one that I, I pulled in here because I thought it was really important, which is the classic trolley problem meme where, you know, you on one track, you've got, uh, you know, one person, and on the other track, you've got five people but in this one they've actually curved it so that regardless of which path that the trolley goes on it circles back around and hits all of the people anyway and then there's this line of people standing in the way of the trolley with signs blocking the trolley's path and then someone on the trolley saying what if this makes someone late for work i don't think you're helping your cause (laughs) and Oh, man. I just want to make... I, I want to talk a little bit about the people who are like, you shouldn't block the road. What it, You're just going to make people angry. Because that, maybe in certain cases, there's a couple people in the traffic who are, you know, reactionary assholes or, or something like that. But consistently, when you actually go into these traffic settings and talk to the people who are there, they're like... 
yeah, I understand. I mean, this is an important cause. And especially when you've seen, like, I guess in the Discord, we saw that there are people who are blocking these intersections in defense of Palestine uh, and bringing attention to that issue, making sure that people realize that things cannot continue as normal while there is a genocide on. Uh, yeah, this was a, a, a big one this week because uh, JVP and, and several other groups in New York City mm-hmm. pulled off a big blockade action earlier this week where they blocked, like, every tunnel and bridge in and out of Manhattan at the same time. Uh-huh. And they're which was dope. Hell yeah. yeah. And they're also, I mean, distributing flyers which educate people about mm-hmm. why the traffic is blocked, which I think is uh, I mean, originally I was a little uh, you know, uh, reserved about this being like, well, you know, maybe uh actually going out and talking to the people in the cars can be a little bit risky because maybe there is you're not gonna i'm not saying that there's a lot of reactionary people out there but maybe there is one or two and they're gonna get violent but then you know having just like a flyer that you can be like hey here's the information on what's going on i think is a really great uh way to actually make sure that your message is getting across and also you're talking to people that don't always that won't always be the people who will see the protest or understand what's going on and it is a really great opportunity to talk to people who otherwise might just turn away well and also like traffic is one of those situations where you kind of can judge the book by its cover like maybe don't go up to the truck with the come and take it sticker on it other <laughs> yeah. than that you might be all right you know <laughs> yeah i mean well and the whole thing it's just like I, I think there are people who like uh you know maybe aren't necessarily as involved with this stuff who 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 see the liberals making that argument and, and then just are like well i want the protest to be successful so is this actually an issue mm-hmm. like not the bad faith liberals who do this shit but it's like i think that's why it's important to understand that it's like a, a protest doesn't have to appeal to everyone and in fact it's a protest so it isn't trying to yeah that's kind of part uh, of the point like the other thing too it's like uh, for like no one who's telling you that, that they don't like your protest uh is somebody that you should give a shit about like i'm mad that you're delaying me for work uh, I'm more mad about that than the fact that our government is killing 25,000 people well then okay You've lost me on really being mad about inconveniencing. Yeah. Oh, look mm-hmm. at the big baby. Oh, he loves work so much. Mr. Baby <laughs> yeah. can't wait to get to work. <laughs> yeah, grow up. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, this, <laughs> the other thing too, I could, you could read, you could spin this around and this is just the U.S. and Israel saying this to Yemen. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, that's actually a really good point, which mm-hmm. also people should be paying attention to that because uh, the U.S. has, uh, without congressional approvals, started a war on Yemen. Well, oh. actually, a multinational war, which, I mean, obviously, you know. I mean, sort of. Well, like, kind of, sort of, but also against an <laughs> with, opponent who with, will. With our little english bulldog helping us out yeah and also against an (laughs) opponent who will kick our ass in the region Uh undoubtedly will kick our ass yeah i mean and And you know what more power to them (laughs) as one of the various answer a lot of fighters that i've seen like interviewed on 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 twitter about this in the last few days also a lot of folks that speak english surprisingly oh yeah well Uh, a lot of them are really heavily multilingual because apparently like they have a pretty good like internal reading list within that organization <laughs> includes a lot well, of socialist literature out and, and they've been even before the attack started there's like you're gonna threaten 
Yemen with war. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's like threatening Yemen with war is like threatening the sick with hell. Yeah, that was such a baller line. And the other one I saw recently where he was like, "We won't stop there. We will come to the White House and make it the Black House, the Dirty House." And I'm like, this is coming across weird in translation, dude. But I love the energy. <laughs> hell yeah, hell yeah, yeah. And so, uh, I, but but. To move on to our next meme, uh, we've got another topical one in here, which is just a picture of the logo of the company, Boeing, <laughs> which is also an onomatopoeia for the sound their parts make when they bounce off the ground after takeoff. <laughs> so was that a Boeing that had the the like side panel come out? Um, yeah. Did you see the Reddit post where somebody was like, would it be insider trading if I put puts in on Boeing from inside the plane where the panel just came <laughs> off? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I thought about it for a minute and I kind of tried to figure it out. And then I, the little bird on my shoulder was like, tell them to gamble normal. And I was like, why don't you just gamble normal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, really ultimately this whole thing, it's like, this is every, again, th th this stuff, it's like, it's every capitalist industry. Mm -hmm. Quality doesn't produce profits, especially once you're a monopoly. So cut it. Mm -hmm. save save why 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 waste all this money making sure your planes don't fall apart what are they gonna do buy planes from somebody else yeah i can you imagine the fucking door flying off in the middle of it, it, it i saw the actual picture of the door that like flew off mm -hmm. that's terrifying Oh yeah, I'm amazed never that didn't sit. kill somebody. I oh. will never sit at one of those door seats ever again. Well, it's it's also not just like the risk of falling out of the plane. Like rapid cabin rapid cabin pressure uh, depressurization is very dangerous to people with certain like specific ailments and 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 organ conditions and stuff. So like that's really dangerous. <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, nationalize Boeing yeah. for safety reasons. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Like well, the CIA kind of did for a while, but not the good kind like you want. <laughs> well i don't think that's not a nationalization that's just a partnership between france oh yeah public private mm. partnerships are favorite yeah, yeah. <laughs> well calling the cia a public institution is fucked but anyway <laughs> yeah and then uh this last one is just got this this little chihuahua smiling big big teeth Teethy, toothy grin and he says uh when today's safety meeting is about what you did yesterday me <laughs> 100% yeah. me. <laughs> Real John hours. <laughs> uh, just, it's very funny. Uh, and you just like, you know what? Yeah, I don't even care. <laughs> but Well, I, uh, to me, that this is it, this reflects the disconnect in between the emotions displayed in the Chihuahua's eyes mm -hmm. and the forced grin yeah. of, oh boy, I'm in danger, but I have nothing I can do about it. <laughs> oh yeah, also that. I was really interpreting it as, I'm actually kind of cheesing about this. Yeah, uh, me too. Like, I'm cackling. So. Sorry that you didn't like the way <laughs> I jumped on and off the back of my truck yesterday, but I was in the warehouse, <laughs> the floor was dry, it was perfectly safe. <laughs> well, like, I was with that other recent cat and the hard hats meme where it's got like the grizzled like uh like veteran worker cat sitting there like sm like looking nonplussed <laughs> with a cigarette in its mouth and it's like uh the 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 foreman watching the new guy uh, get crushed in the crush machine after doing the thing that he said not to do to get crushed in the crush machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, with that, we're going to wrap for this episode. We want to thank you all for listening. Share our episodes so that more people can find it. Write us a review somewhere. And if you'd like to support us monetarily, which is the only way that we get any funding, you can go to patreon.com slash workstoppage. You also get access to all of our bonus content. We're doing a short series on the book 
Confessions of a Union Buster, which was originally read in our reading group, which also is in the Discord, which anyone can join. That happens on Tuesday evenings. And they're actually going to be starting reading Hammer and Ho, but there's still another part to the Patreon series. So become a patron. And you can follow us in all of the places by going to workstoppagepod.com. The links are all there. And you should also listen to BB Blitus, listen to Red Game Table, and as always, labor peace is not in our interest, and solidarity forever. Solidarity. Solidarity, everybody.